know, one thing that we have to keep in mind is all week long, you've been accumulating stuff. All right, so here's what I want to hear you say. I say, I got stuff. All right, I got to get rid of my stuff. And I'm doing it right now. And I'm going to focus on God. Oh, that one wasn't quite as loud. And I'm going to focus on God. All right, I love children. Don't you love children and how innocent and fun they can be? Well, I heard a story about a a new pastor who had decided to visit the children's department, and uh, he thought after listening a little while, he thought he would kind of probe and ask a few questions. And so he, uh, he said to the children, who tore down the walls of Jericho? And quickly, young Tommy shouted out, it wasn't me. Well, the pastor was unfazed and repeated, come on now, who tore down the walls of Jericho? Well, the teacher pulled the pastor aside and said, look, Tommy's a good boy. If he said he didn't do it, he didn't do it, and I believe him. Well, the pastor couldn't believe what he was hearing, and later that day, he related the story to the director of the Christian education. The director frowned and said, I know, we've had trouble with Tommy in the past, and I will have a word with him. Now, totally baffled, the pastor left and approached the director of finance. Once again, he told the whole story, including the responses of the teacher and the Christian education director. And the director of finance listened patiently and smiled and said, yes, pastor, I can see your problem, but I suggest we take the money from the general fund to pay for the walls and leave it at that. (laughs) Well, children have an amazing way of listening and hearing and responding. Uh, we had uh, Cruz and Crosby down for a, a couple of days, and Cruz had hurt his arm, and, and it wasn't anything serious, but he was upset about it, and I said, come over here and let me put some lotion on it. It was just hand lotion, you know, but you know, when, when you're a kid, everything is magical, right? And he said, no, I'm afraid of it, and I said, well, let me tell you where I got it. And I said, there was this guy named Jack, and all of a sudden, he was standing around, and this bean fell down. And Jack planted it, and next thing you know, it grew into this tall beanstalk. And Cruz's eyes are getting bigger and bigger, and I'm just trying to think, how do I keep this thing going? And I said, and he climbed up the stalk, and he got up there, and all of a sudden, he looked over, and he saw this giant. And he says, yeah, then what? And I said, then the giant said, how did you get up here? And he said on that, he said, did you take one of my magic beans? And he said, yes. And, and he started chasing him around. He saw another stock and he started climbing up and, and the giant fell down. And when he fell down, the giant said, quick, I'm hurt. Give me some of that lotion. And he got some of that lotion and he put it on the giant. And the giant was better and became his friend. And Jack went back down and I met Jack just yesterday and he gave me the lotion and here it is. And Cruz came over and said, put it on. Don't you love children? Because they have childlike faith. They believe. You don't have to talk them out of what they believe. They just believe it. And as we talk about healing today, I want to start with this idea that childlike faith is essential. I know without a shadow of doubt, there are dozens of people in this room that need to be healed from something. It might be physical. It might be a soul wound that is affecting you deeply from the past. It might be something else altogether. But I want to just say right up front, it's going to take childlike faith 
to see the miracle of God. The second thing is this. Healing is a principle of the kingdom of God. When Jesus was crucified, the Bible recounts for us in prophecy in the book of Isaiah that it is by his stripes that we are healed. That there's something transformational that happened at the cross when Jesus died. It wasn't just in his, in his resurrection, it was also in his dying. And we have to understand, we have to embrace that. We have to understand that God is the author of our faith. The book of Hebrews chapter 12 says that, that looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, it's he that gave you faith. It's God that gave you that desire to believe and to trust him. I want to take you in the Bible to the book of Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23. And I want you to see what Jesus does. Now, this is really early in his ministry. He has just called the disciples unto himself, beginning in chapter 4. And in beginning here in verse 23, it says, Jesus went about the Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, keep in mind, the kingdom means the king's domain. When Jesus preached, when Jesus taught, what he was saying was this. I want you to understand the rule of the king. And when the king shows up, the rule kicks in. This is the king's domain. It says, and he was healing all kinds of sickness, all kinds of disease among the people. Now, notice that the, the scripture tells us here in verse 24, then, then what happened? Then his fame began to spread. Then people began to take notice, not because he had a great message, he did. Not because he had a commanding presence, he did. But he was changing their life. When Jesus changes your life, his fame spreads. When Jesus changes your life, you follow him, you notice him, you take attention to what he's saying and what he's doing. It said his fame began to spread throughout all of Syria, and they brought him, all sick people who were afflicted and various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. It's interesting how he goes into great depth there of talking about it was everyone who came. It must have been quite a scene. Can you imagine what was going on? Here's hundreds probably of people in a day when medicine was at a very low ebb. And they're bringing people, and it must have been the side of people that were lame and blind, and they were help, some were helping people along. Maybe they were carrying someone on their back. You know why? Because they were desperate. They needed hope. Have you ever been really desperate for God? Really hungry for God to say, I, if God doesn't come through, I've had it. If God doesn't work a miracle, I've had it. A few years ago, I was asked to do a a funeral for some teenagers who were all tragically lost in a car accident. I didn't know any of them, but I was asked because they didn't know who else to ask. They needed a pastor. And I went and I did that funeral, and while I was there, I, I gave an invitation for people to receive Christ, and over 300 high school kids gave their heart to Christ that day. But I noticed out of the corner of my eye, there was a man standing over there that was a little bit reclusive, and, and he had long hair and a beard, and, and he walked over to me, and he, he just started asking me some questions about ministry and different things, and 
He said, what do you, would you like to do in your ministry that you can't afford to do? And I said, I don't know. No one has ever asked me that. But we became friends. He became a great financer of, of what we did in radio and television at that point in my life. And as we began to talk, uh, uh, he was a very quiet guy. I invited him to church. He says, no, I really don't go to church. He said, but come by my office. I want to give you a check. And I went by, and his office was very dark. And, and he was just kind of a mysterious guy. And I noticed he started to lose weight, and he said to me, he said, you know, I have, I was, I have actually have cancer. I was in Vietnam, and, and, and I was affected by Agent Orange. But I still work for the government, and they fly me to Bethesda Medical once a month for treatment to keep me going. He said, that's really their interest, because I have a, a skill that, and a technology that the U.S. military wants. So I went back, and I was praying, and, and it was just like God put on my heart that passage in the book of James, if anyone's sick, let him call for the elders and let them anoint them with oil. And I called Dave back up, and I said, Dave, I was reading this scripture, and I said, you know, I'd like to come over and pray for you and anoint you with oil. And he said, yeah, you come on over and just oil me up. <laughs> and I said, well, no, I don't think we need to do that. I think just a little bit of drop will do. So I went over there, and, and you know, it wasn't anything that you would say you'd put on TV. It wasn't anything magical. It wasn't anything, you know, that was just overly exciting. I just put some oil on his forehead, and I prayed that God would heal him. And I walked away with a, a sense that God had healed him. And time went on. He said, you know, I'm going to Bethesda in the next two weeks, and, uh, um, you know, I'll give you a report. He called me from Bethesda in two weeks. He said, you're not going to believe this, but... He said, they've done all the checks. There is no, I have no cancer. Now, I didn't heal him. I didn't really know much about it at the time. And I don't know much more about it now other than when God shows up, things happen. It's always for God's glory. It was the character of God that showed up in his life and healed him. And, and, uh, and, and that cancer never came back. And when I hear stories like this, and I begin to read it, it says in verse 24 there, he healed them. And then great multitudes. They had brought a lot of people, but now they were not just a lot of people. Now they were multitudes of people. And I don't know whether a multitude is 100 or 5,000 people, but multitudes, they began to follow him everywhere he went. They wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to see what Jesus did, not just hear his words. They wanted to see his power demonstrated in the lives of other people. And that's what we want. I can't think of anything more boring than just going to church and never having a power encounter with God. I can't think of anything worse than being religious and not really believing that God works and moves in our life. We want to see God unfold himself in a powerful way. It says from the Galilee to Decapolis to Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Let me talk to you a little bit about the gospel of the kingdom today. I've noticed that, that, that we get anything but kingdom focused. Have you ever noticed that when someone wants you to pray for them, and I do the same thing, so I'm not pointing my finger, I'm saying we do this. We think we have to bring everybody up to everything the doctors told us. Every detail and then, after we've taken 15 minutes to tell our story, we pray for 15 seconds. You see, we've got everything backwards. We, the focus has to be on the solution, not on the problem. 
The, the solution is Jesus. The solution is not telling the details of our problem. And though you may need to share that, and that's fine. I'm just telling you that we have to focus on what do we want to see God do? How do we want to see God work? Childlike faith is critical. Childlike faith is critical. When our boys were little, uh, our oldest son, he told me, he said, I don't want to go on Wednesday nights to church anymore. At that time, we had church, and we'd all hold hands, and we'd pray at the end, and he said, I don't want to go to church anymore. I said, why don't you want to go to church? He said, because I'm embarrassed. I have these warts on my hands, and I think people are afraid to hold my hand. He said, but you know, Dad, he said, you said that if we just asked Jesus, he would take care of it, and I'm just going to pray tonight the warts go away, so in the morning, I don't have to worry about it anymore. Now, if you're like every parent, if you're like me, you're thinking, I don't want my son to be disappointed with God in the morning. And I really prayed, and I said, God, I know you've got bigger issues in the world than warts. <laughs> but God, if you can just take warts away, that would be great. And in my heart, I'm not even sure I believed they were going to go away. I just didn't want him to have a disappointment. But he went to bed believing they were going away. And I was sitting there in the, at, having breakfast, and all of a sudden he came running down, and he said, Dad, Dad. And I'm thinking, oh, no, he's going to tell me why didn't the warts go away. And he looked, he says, Dad, look, all the warts are gone. And they never came back. It wasn't me. It was childlike faith. Another church I pastored, there was a drought in that area, and they decided, this group of Sunday school uh, girls decided they were going to pray for rain, and they were all about eight years old. And so they were supposed to gather that day, and one little girl showed up with her umbrella. That's faith. The teacher said, I really needed her to teach the class. I didn't have anything to say. I'm trying to say this is not about how much knowledge you have, about how smart you are. In fact, I almost think sometimes the older, wiser, and smarter we get, the more we can talk God out of what God wants to do. We need to release God to be God. About... Uh, December, about November, December of last year, we, we uh, as you know, uh, many of you know, we had a Christmas tree lighting here and we provided uh, about 2,000 toys for the Boys and Girls Club of Anaheim. And a lot of these kids are, they're essentially homeless, they live in hotels and then they can only stay a certain number of days, they have to move back out, then they come back in. And, and there's a Boys and Girls Club in Anaheim that just really just kind of provides a place for these kids because they don't really have a place at home to go home to. And we just had it on our heart, and God just hasn't let me just get over that. Just haven't been able to get over that. And I thought, what we've got to do something. We've got to somehow minister to the Boys and Girls Club of Anaheim. And I got on my mind this idea of outside the walls, that we need to move outside the walls. And, and I was down getting my hair cut, and my buddy, uh, he's cut my hair for about eight years, and uh, that's why it looks so good, because he's got it down pat, right? <laughs> and uh, I said, don't you know like a famous skater? Oh, yeah, yeah, he's won the gold in the X Games. Just won him two weeks ago. Like, do you think we could get him to come to influence? I said, well, let me see. And then I call Todd Ahmed at the chamber, and then I call Chris Murray on the council woman, and I said, hey, I'm thinking about an event. We bring 1,000 
kids from the girls and boys club here to the church. And we close off the street and we put ramps in and then we get those tennis shoes that say influence on them and we put tennis shoes on every one of those kids and we bless these kids. And everybody's excited about it. And God willing, God puts all the details together. We're going to be able to do that in the fall. Amen. Let me tell you why it's important. It's important because you can change a generation with one kid. You can change the entire family structure with one kid. One kid who finds Christ will, will probably, most likely, try to marry someone who's a Christian who will probably, most likely, raise their children to be Christians, and they will take away the sin of a generation after generation from that household. And they will reverse a poverty spirit. They will, they will set up a, a position in that family and in that community that literally is life-changing. Never underestimate the power of one changed life. You see, our calling is to raise up a generation that expects miracles. We are called to raise up a generation that says, I expect God to work. I expect God to work. We are to raise up a generation that hungers for the power of God. I want the power of God. I get selfish about the power of God. I say, God, I'm not selfish about anything except you and your presence and your power, and I want more of that, God. We gotta raise up a generation that has the courage to believe God in any and every situation. And I'm not saying it's easy. Sometimes you go, well, you know what? I, I, I've done everything I need to do. I, you know what? What do I do now? You've done everything you need to do. You've trusted God. You've believed God. I want you to think a bit about the fame of Jesus. I love that story in the, in the book of Joshua where it says that the nation of Israel had come through the land and, and so powerful was God working in that situation that it says his fame spread throughout the land. And literally all of these people were coming up and they were saying, we don't know what's going on, but we want to we wanna know about your God. Is God working in your life in such a powerful way? They're saying, I want to know about your God. I want to see what God is doing. I mean, Christianity cannot be a hobby. It cannot just be something you tack on to your life. It's got to be something that is transformational and powerful. And people say, what's up with you? What happened to you? Man, you are different. If they're not saying that, that ought to be your challenge. I want people to say that about me. You're different. What's going on? What about that famous Jesus? Why did his, spread, his fame spread? Because Jesus affects every area of your life. Every area of your life. I always get tickled when I'm, when I'm talking to a bunch of guys, and every once in a while, you know, the, you know, the bad word will come out, and they'll go, hey, I'm sorry, and I go, hey, you didn't offend me. Not offending me. What's in your heart? Whatever's in your heart's coming out of your mouth. If you love Jesus, it's coming out of your mouth. If Jesus isn't coming out of your mouth enough, you're not loving Jesus enough. Huh? Hello? Let me try it one more time. If Jesus isn't coming out of your mouth, you're not loving Jesus enough. Let me try it one more time. I'll do this until Jesus comes back. If Jesus didn't come in your mouth, you're not loving Jesus enough. Amen. You just want to go home, I know. <laughs> Jesus provides for a future. You see, when you really have faith in Jesus, your future is secure. You don't worry about it. 
Oh, does that mean you're going to have a simple life and no problems? Absolutely not. All it means is you're secure in Jesus. You're trusting in Jesus. Let me take you to Luke chapter 4 and, and verse 18 and look what Jesus said. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to do what? Preach the gospel to the poor. Why? Because the poor like to hear it. The poor like to hear it. They respond to it. You know what happens when we get too much money? We get distracted. Some of you are distracted from Jesus because you got too much money. You say, well, it's not me. It might be. It doesn't take much to get distracted. It doesn't take much to get self-sufficient. You know, it's like the pastor that went to the hospital room and, and uh, the pastor came in and he said, could I pray with you? And she said, oh, Lord, has it come to that? Have we finally got to the place where we have to pray? I mean, look at all the medical technology we have. We put all of our faith in physicians, and God bless every one of them, and God bless every facility we have, and we should seek the best. But that's not where your faith is. Your faith is in God. God has to be the healer. You see, because if medical is the only way we can get the job done, then God did a disservice to every generation before the modern generation that had medical science. What did they do? How did they process life? How did they deal with their difficulties and their struggles and their, and their finances and all those other things? They went to Jesus. He says, to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal up the brokenhearted. You ever been brokenhearted? Some of you are today. You're brokenhearted about children, about spouse. You're brokenhearted about your job, about your future. You're brokenhearted. Guess what he said I came to do? I didn't just come to take you to heaven. I came to look what it says. Heal the brokenhearted. Proclaim liberty to captives. What's holding you? What's holding you back right now? That's what's, what are the chains on you right now that are keeping you and you're a captive? Recovery of sight to the blind. You say, well, I'm not physically blind. No, but you may be blind to some other things. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Oppression, depression, discouragement, difficulty, hardship. What did he come to do? Set at liberty those who are oppressed. I promise you, I promise you, Somebody sitting around, some of you right now, are oppressed and need to be set free. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to do that. Right now in your heart, you can say something like that. Jesus, I just, I just want to be set free. Right now, I just want to be set free, Jesus. Jesus set me free. God set me at liberty right now. In just one generation, a family can notice change in relationships. They can notice change in lifestyle, the way they live out their life. In the economic status, they can notice a change. It's amazing what happens when you start putting order in your life and how relationships begin to get stronger, how your lifestyle begins to change. Even the way that you run your op and operate your finances, it changes, it changes. It, not to mention the eternal destiny to be with God, that changes too. See, the gospel is the good news about every area of your life, not just a few. When fear strikes, I like to call fear risk. Because you see, the opposite, what do you do? You're going to take a risk. You're going to move into, out of fear and into risk and say, I'm going to just believe God. 
What we do is we switch from the supernatural to the natural. Here's, what, here's how I know what happens. See, just do this little check in your mind. When fear strikes, when difficulty comes, do you forget his miracles? Because you're so focused on the problem. You know God's worked in the past, and I don't mean just in the Bible, I mean in other people's lives or in your own life. You see, you know you move from supernatural to natural when you forget the miracles of God. When we trust in our own ability, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, do those things, but are you operating in the supernatural divine flow of God? We know when we bypass the power of God and we hold on to our own power so strongly, we, we clench our fist and we say, I will not let this happen. No, 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 this is out of your control. That's why you're in crisis. That is the definition of a crisis, is it not? It's out of my control. What I have to do is say, Jesus, this is out of my control, and there's no way I can regain control. I release it completely to you. There's a dad that had a boy in the Scriptures. In Matthew 17, he was a demon-possessed boy, and he didn't know what to do. He took him to the disciples, and the disciples, you know, they couldn't affect him at all. And Jesus said this, how long do I have to be with you, O Oh, faithless generation, bring the boy to me. I wonder how many times we bring our problems to church, we bring our problems to people, and we don't bring our problems to Jesus. You've got to take it to Jesus. You can bring it to church and it feels better. You can share with somebody, it feels better. You can, you can put out, fill out a prayer request, it feels better. But you have to bring it to Jesus and you have to leave it with Jesus. Because you're going to fight to get it back. You're going to fight to take control back. Uh, you know that a couple of weeks ago, Tammy and I went away to a, a prayer and healing conference, and one of the things we wanted to do was come back. We wanted to share uh, what we learned, and we wanted to equip people better for prayer and healing because God has already brought so many wonderful things. Uh, one of the gals that we prayed for at our Friday night uh, a prayer and healing service was uh, the doctor described her as having cancer throughout her whole body. And she went back to the doctor, and the doctor said, uh, I don't really understand what's going on, but it looks like your body's healing itself. Well, I know what that is. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. So what we're going to do, uh, I'm sorry for the late notice, but we actually decided to expand the, the grouping. We were just going to offer this uh, class to, the, uh, uh, to our prayer ministry, but um, there was so much demand that we have a very limited amount of space, but uh, there's a prayer and healing class that's going to begin uh, actually this week on the 23rd from 6.30 to 9. It's about six weeks long. If you're interested and want information on that, you can sign up uh, in the lobby as you go out. But I, I would just say just right now, just a prayer, God, do you want me there? It's not something you just kind of come to and try out and see. It's something we ask you to be committed to. It's a part of our school of ministry that we're launching here. And I just ask you to really just consider what God would be doing in your heart. Some of you, God has gifted you in a way that, that might just align itself well with that, and we want you to, to, to really be a part of that. The thing I love about Jesus, he was irresistibly attractive. You ever seen something irresistibly attractive? I saw a car the other day. It was just, I couldn't take my eyes off of it. My wife asked me one time, she said, if you saw a great car and a beautiful girl walk by, which would you look at? I said, the car. Because I've been married a while. I know what how to answer that one. Amen? Guys, you know what I'm talking about? If you answer the girl, you are stupid. 
You deserve all the trouble you get in. But I meant it. I mean, I, you know, I see a great car and I go, yeah, there t- a lot of girls. There's like six billion people on the earth, you know, but that car. Look at that car, right? Jesus was like that, irresistibly attractive. When you really get to know Jesus, you know what he does? He just pulls you in. I just want to be closer to him. He's irresistibly attractive. Jesus approached every situation with confidence. Did you ever notice that? Bring a demon-possessed boy. Bring somebody blind. Bring somebody who can't walk. He doesn't go, dang, what am I going to do about this one? Oh, no. Wow, that's really bad. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I don't know. It's looking bad. Do you think when you bring your problems to God, he goes, oh, that's a big one. I guess we better work on it. I don't know. Can you give me some time? I got I to I get with the Holy Spirit and the Father. We got to get this thing worked out. You know, we got to bring the three together. Talk about it. No. Jesus approached every situation with confidence. Faith grows by believing prayer. When I see God do something, I know God can do more. And I just, I say, you know, I know this. Miracles follow miracles. Just like tragedy follows tragedy. You ever heard anybody say this? Well, bad things come in three. You just had two setbacks, and somebody goes, well, bad things come in three. You know what you do with that, friend? Get a new one. I do not like you anymore. No, stay out of my life. No, I've only had one bad thing happen. I don't want two more. Why don't we just reverse that? You see, it's the enemy who tries to take our mind down the wrong road. He wants to take and steal from us, destroy from us, and kill us. And so he says, oh, yeah, bad things come in three. Oh, that's an act of God. God just wiped out the world. No, that's not an act of God. That's just bad weather. What I do is when people say, oh, bad things come in three, and I said, no, they don't. God comes in three. Amen? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? Good things come in three, not bad things. I think it's part of the enemy to try to destroy the whole idea of the Trinity of God. Never thought about that, did you? You know how God made you? Body, soul, and spirit. He made it good. Why? Because you're created in his image. God said creation is good. What did he do? He said, hey, I'm just going to let you enjoy this. I'm going to give you three primary colors. You can paint anything you want with three primary colors. I'm going to put time in past, present, and future so you can figure all of that out. Oh, you want to measure things? Heights, width, depth. God put three as a stamp of approval on everything God does. I want you to start saying good things come in how many? Three. Three. Amen. All right, now let's go on. That's good stuff. (laughs) Healing increases in an atmosphere of thanksgiving. Healing increases in an atmosphere of thanksgiving, not depression and discouragement. There's a risk factor. It's called faith. And it's big. The greater the risk, the greater the reward. But watch this. Knowing the truth is not enough. Knowing the truth is not enough. A lot of people know the truth and don't know what to do with that truth. They're not experiencing God. Truth must change your circumstances 
for the good. You shall know the truth. What's the second part of that? And the truth shall do what? You see, knowing it wasn't enough. If it doesn't set you free, what good is it? If you're still in bondage, if you're still struggling, what good is it? You shall know the truth. The truth shall set you free. You see, the idea is we want God's kingdom to begin to invade our lives. As it is in heaven, on earth. The Lord's Prayer. Let me take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and, and verse 20. It says this, For the kingdom of God, and I want you to watch carefully here, is not in word. That's the word logos. But it is in power, the word dunamis. Okay, now watch it. Just keep that up there. The kingdom of God is not in word. It's not, you're not going to see the kingdom because you have the word. You're going to see the kingdom when the power comes, follows that word. Right? Now let me take it a little bit further. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Paul said this, okay? And my speech, there's the word logos, and my preaching were not in persuasive logos. So we're not persuasive words, okay? But, or of human wisdom, and that's the word sophia, it's where we get our word sophisticated. You ever know anybody sophisticated? They're very, I'm very smart. You can be very smart and be very stupid. Right? Okay, so he said, when I came to you, I didn't, wasn't trying to tell you how well I spoke and how much I know, because you see, that's not it, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of what? Dunamis. Let's say that word, dunamis. All right, now you know Greek. All right. That your faith should not be in the wisdom, the sophistication of men. You hear so-and-so. I watch these, these, these uh, shows on the Bible on the History Channel. A bunch of idiots do most of them. All they do is spend all the time telling you theories and why the Bible's not valid and what Jesus didn't do. Oh, yeah, well, I think he did this. Well, guess what, dude? You're not 2,000 years old. You weren't there. I got the Word of God that's living and breathing. It says, now look, in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest in sophisticated men, but in the what? In the power of God. Where's your faith? Power of God. Not in words. Hey, the words are only good if the power's following. Amen? Amen. You got to have the power come, and that's when you say, okay, now I get it, now I understand. So, but in the power, in the dunamis of God, we want, we want God's power to be evident in our lives. We want to see transformation in our lives and in our church and in our community. We want to see people drawn here because they say the power of God is moving there. Let me give you a couple of life applications. Here's the first one. It's really simple. It's all about Jesus. I am so inadequate for anything good. But in Jesus, there's complete sufficiency. Amen? There's nobody here smart enough, gifted enough, wise enough, talented enough, works hard enough. It's just about Jesus. Remember that little story I told you about Jack and the Beanstalk? Why did that work? Because of childlike faith. What is it you need to see God do in your life today? In your family today? 
Your mind might start saying, well, I just don't think that's going to happen or I've got to get control of this. But really, what you have to do is just hand it to Jesus. You have to believe that God is good. God didn't bring this on you to try to teach you a lesson. God didn't bring this on you to try to punish you. Jesus said, I didn't come in the world to condemn, but I came in the world to love the world and to save the world, to redeem the world. That's why he's here today. I was at a wedding not too long ago, and I was talking to a young couple, and and they were asking me about their situation, and their situation wasn't ideal from a relational standpoint, and they said, would you consider doing our wedding? I said, of course I would. Really? I said, yeah. I said, "I, I think the idea that you want to get married now and there's a process you want to get into, I think that's honorable before God. I said, religion says no. Jesus says yes. Did you ever notice that Jesus, in that story of the woman caught in adultery, he was justified in agreeing with the Pharisees, the religious people, and saying, pick up the stones and let's kill her now, but he didn't? He forgave her, and then he said, now go and sin no more. He forgave her, now go and sin no more. Do you hear what I just said? If you repent, I will forgive you. Jesus won her heart first. Now just don't go do that, okay? Well, what if she does? He'll still love her. You see, but God, God is all about relationships. He's about taking us and moving us in relationships to where we can fully understand the love and the grace of God. That's not because you're perfect, because you're not. I'm not. It's just because God is a God of great love and mercy. Amen? I want you to just stand with me right now as I, as I pray, and I'm going to ask you to, uh, to do something. Uh, Tammy mentioned it earlier, and I just want to be very specific about it. As we pray, I know, I know without a shadow of a doubt that there are some of you that are, uh, you came here today with a heavy heart. You came here with a problem that you know that God needs to solve. And that problem might be a financial need. It might be a physical need. It might be um, vocational. It might be relational in terms of your children. Uh, it might be something really deep in your heart. You've just got a wound that's deep in your soul and it, it is affecting you every aspect of your life. It might even be just kind of manifesting itself in, in physical sickness because you haven't been able to forgive somebody. You haven't been able to release somebody. But we want you today to take that step of faith for healing. I'm going to pray here in just a minute. And when I'm done praying, I'm going to ask as the, as the music plays that if you would like to position yourself, if you'd like to exercise faith just in stepping forward and coming here to the front and saying, I need God to do this. That is a step of faith, by the way. You don't have to say anything. You say, well, my faith is small. It doesn't have to be big. Jesus never got done healing someone and said, you know, great job, you came with all this faith. Sometimes he would commend them and say, your faith is great, but it wasn't because they qualified themselves beforehand and said, hey, I got great faith, can I get healed? If your faith's the size of a mustard seed, just a little bit, 
I'm going to ask you to come here to the front in just a moment. Let me just pray, and then the music will play, and you can move here, and we'll have members of our prayer team here. They'll be able to lay their hands on you and pray for you and, and just ask God's healing power. God, I know when we come to a place and time like this, God, there's heavy hearts. There are things that we carry around that we shouldn't carry, God. There are burdens that are too big. They're too heavy. They're too, they're too awkward for us to get a hands on. So Lord Jesus, we just come to you right now in your name and we just pray for your healing power to fall on us. We pray, God, you'll take away the hurt and the pain of the heart and the torment of the soul. We pray that minds will be set free, that forgiveness will be offered to all, even those who don't deserve it, God. We just offer forgiveness. We ask, for God, for just the, the release, God, that we might be totally set free. Remember, it's not just the truth but it's the truth that sets you free then you shall be free indeed if you desire to be free indeed if you desire someone to pray for you and to heal you if you'd like to just make your step into that aisle and to the front here as an act of faith I'm just going to invite you to come right now